Hey listeners, thanks for dropping in. I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. Welcome back to Married Motives. We're so happy you've decided to join us. I'm laughing at you because you beat me to <laughs> I it. I did. It's always a rush. Who gets to say the first? Hey, listeners. Because <laughs> oh, it's always hard to think about what to say next. That's right. <laughs> Christy got it to it this time. But we are happy you're joining us this week. We totally are. <laughs> Melissa has a very interesting case for us today. I am excited to tell this one because the dysfunction in it is crazy. I know nothing about this case other than Melissa just kind of gave me a very brief, you know, we have got two killers, that type of a thing. And everyone knows that I love talking about couple killing. And so, but this has got a twist, I'm assuming, by the look on her face right now. (laughs) It's not a couple killing. But this one has a bit of a twist. It's not your regular couple type of killing. No, it's not. Because each of the killers in this case claim responsibility by themselves. What? Yeah. So they're trying to take credit for the killing rather than trying to blame it on somebody else. That's right. Who does that? Well, you know I love a case with a confession. I just like the way it all ties up. All the evidence comes together in a nice little puzzle and everything fits. And you know for sure that's how things happened. Right. It's like it's handed to you in a little package with a bow. That's right. I like it all spelled out for me. That's why I like a confession. No, I totally get that. And that's why I tend to not enjoy unsolved cases because I want to know. I got to see how it ends, right? Right. But in the case I have for you today, two people confess to murdering the same individual all by themselves. And neither one of their stories makes all the evidence fit into place. What? Mm -hmm. So do you have a theory at the end of who you think actually did it or what you think actually happened? We can talk about our different theories, but you know what? Even after all the research I've done on this case, I am still like, I have no idea what happened. That's crazy. I'm excited to hear it. So while looking for a family day case, I stumbled across this little gem of a case. It's full of family dysfunction, like I said, and difficult situations. The family tree is full of twisted branches that get a little bit difficult to follow at times. So I'll do my best to paint a clear picture of the different relationships that come into play. Oh, so we got to really pay attention is what you're saying. Yeah, get your notebook. (laughs) It's like when you watch one of those movies where you're like, I can't talk. I can barely eat my popcorn. I have to pay attention. (laughs) (laughs) You're making us work for it today. I hope it'll be clear. So at the center of this tangled mess of family ties is Joshua Gauker and his son, Joshua Young. Throughout this case, I'm going to refer to them by their last names just to try and keep it straight on which Joshua I'm referring to. So Young was charged with the murder of his stepbrother on June 23rd, 2011, and he maintains his innocence after his dad told police that Young had confessed to him. Oh, so the dad changes his story later. Then two years after the murder, Gauker came forward and confessed to the judge that it was actually him who killed Trey all by himself just months before Young's trial was about to begin. What? Mm Mm-hmm. So this could be two things. His son could have committed the murder and then he feels bad for him and wants him to get out of jail and have a life. So he's going to confess. He's going to take one for the team. Right. Yep. Take the hit for his son. Right. Very noble. And that's what the Commonwealth thought because they chose to pursue the murder charges still against Young, even though they had somebody that was totally confessing to the crime. But as a result of Gauker's confession and his testimony at his son's trial, Young was acquitted of the murder of his stepbrother less than a year later. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. 
So then are they thinking on the other hand, it could be that his father did do it and let his son take the fall and then the guilt got to him and he had to confess. But that's not where the story ends either. Oh, so, I assumed you were just telling me the end and we were going to no, then backtrack wait. and get there. That's what we're going to do. But that's not the end of the story. So five years after being acquitted, after appearing on the Dr. Phil show because his dad tried to frame him and claimed his innocence on a TV show, Young would confess that he had actually killed Trey and he had done it all alone. What? So first he goes on to Dr. Phil and wherever else and throws his dad under the bus. Mm -hmm. My dad framed me. I'm innocent. Then why not just leave it at that? Why go back then? Was it because he was out of the news and he was missing it? Like, hmm, I guess I'll just confess now. I totally think that's probably part oh, of really? it. Oh, really? Yep. <laughs> I was kind of being sarcastic. No, but. in his confession letter, he says, I'll sell my story to the highest bidder. No way. Mm -hmm. Get out. Yep. Both I'm annoyed by these Joshua's already. They're a little bit crazy. Both father and son make claims that they killed their family member on their own in different ways and for different reasons. It was a family member that they killed? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, yeah. This is becoming very apparent that this is going to be a story about two dirtbags. Definitely two dirtbags. But at the heart of this case, which one's telling the truth? Was Gauker's confession, like you said, just a father's desperate attempt to save his son from being imprisoned? Or was Young's confession a lie to get his father out of prison now? Were their confessions just a ploy to lie their way out of the crime that they both committed together? I'll walk you through their lives and the events leading up to the murder and the evidence. And I want to know what your opinion is at the end. Because honestly, I'm still all torn about really? what actually happened. Huh. Well, I'm a pretty opinionated gal. So we'll see <laughs> when we get there. <laughs> I'm hoping our listeners will comment on our Facebook page under this case. Yeah, please do. We love hearing from you guys. What's really interesting is that this case is still active in the appeals courts today. Really? Mm -hmm. How have I not heard of this case? It will be interesting to see how the judicial system handles the double jeopardy in oh, this case. Yeah. He was already acquitted and then got released and then confessed. So they can't charge him for the crime anymore. Oh, there has to be some caveats added into the law so that this type of thing can't happen. Or was mm. that their thing at the very beginning? We'll get you charged, we'll get you off, and then you can be like, haha, did it, suckas. Well, that sounds like what it turned out to be. To oh me, my. I think they were both in on it. But I'll let you form your own opinions. All right. But are they really smart enough, these guys, to come up with this elaborate plan that's going to take years? Maybe not smart, but manipulative. Ah, gotcha. Mm -hmm. But we're talking about the end of the story. Let's go back to the beginning of the story. Okay, yes, please. Joshua J. Gauker was born on August 5th, 1979 to Ruby Gauker, a 17-year-old single mom. It was rumored that he had been the product of his mom being raped by her brother. <gasps> no. Mm -hmm. Others believe that it may have been some other man that Ruby did not want to disclose, but Gauker actually promoted the rumor that he was this incestuous child by rape. Really? Mm -hmm. That's terrible. He grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, in a community where kids grew up to live in the same neighborhood that they would then raise their kids in, across from the same neighboring families that they had known their whole life. Okay. Gauker says that at a young age, he was sexually molested by a teenage relative and that he struggled in school academically. A severe reading difficulty led him to fail two different grades. In grade one and in grade six, he failed. When he was still a child, Ruby married a Pentecostal preacher who would try to be an example for him. His father would eventually adopt him and move the family to his home state of Michigan as a way for the young Gauker to start over again. Okay. Unfortunately, the move caused Gauker to act out in extreme ways. In Michigan, he was hospitalized at the age of seven for his behavior. Oh, wow. He was abusive and was known to torture and kill animals in his neighborhood. Ugh. 
Mm-hmm. That's one of our warning signs, right? Yeah. Is torture to animals. And apparently it was just a known fact that if animals went missing, pets went missing in the neighborhood, everybody was like, yep, that was Gowker. Oh, okay. So my sights are set on him right now. Mm-hmm. Did yeah. he bed wet until age 12 as well? <laughs> I couldn't find that in the research. Okay. Gowker would admit later in life that his homicidal urges began at a very young age. Okay. He's checking some boxes here. Arson? Is there any arson? At the age of nine, he was hospitalized for a second time, this time for setting fire to a house. Ah, called it. (laughs) (laughs) The family would then return to their old neighborhood in Louisville to have more support and in hopes that familiar surroundings would help stabilize Gowker's behaviors. Right. According to Gowker, some of his family members back in his hometown used recreational drugs and so they were easily accessible to him. And as a teenager, he had no problem getting his hands on drugs. In a small town? What? Mm. Imagine that happening, right? (laughs) His behavior became increasingly difficult for his mom to manage. And at 15, he was diagnosed with schizophrenia, but would refuse to follow any prescribed medication regime. Gowker to me seems like a high-functioning schizophrenic, because after watching his testimonies and reading numerous transcripts, he comes across as an impulsive guy that has a really good ability to read others. And when it's beneficial to him, he can be really charismatic. Wow. Mm -hmm. Well, let me tell you a little story about a man with schizophrenia (laughs) who went untreated. (laughs) That's the case you're researching next, right? That's coming next week. It's funny how we get on par with things like this sometimes. Yeah. It's not planned at all. No. But all the people around him would say that he was very good at manipulating people and was a pathological liar. Oh, he sounds swell. Definitely not father material. No. Mm -hmm. Or husband material. Who married him and had a kid? A couple. Wow. Ladies, you can do better. (laughs) Yes, they could have done much better. Gowker had a knack for being a ladies' man and manipulating the women around him. His mother would be the first victim of his manipulation, and numerous girlfriends would follow. At 17, he met Angela Jewell Young, another teen that had grown up in his Louisville community. After a brief romantic relationship, the two learned that they were expecting. They married, and Joshua Young was born on January 6, 1996. Okay. The marriage didn't last long, though. In 1998, so just two years later, Angie sought a divorce because of Gowker's bad influence and abuse. At the time of the divorce, she sought an emergency protective order, fearful of what he might do. Aww. Mm -hmm. What a dirtbag. Gowker moved on and began a relationship with a young woman named Amanda from his home community. Amanda had just recently separated from her son's father, Terrence, or Terry's wicker, and she fell for Gowker's charming ways. Amanda, at 17, had had a son, Terrence, or Trey, on September 3rd, 1996. The child's father, Terry, was only 19 at the time, and they struggled to make their relationship work. When they separated, they remained amicable and arranged to live close enough to each other to share custody of Trey on the week-on, week-off basis. Okay. So both Galker and Amanda are together and have had previous relationships that they've both had a son with. That's right. Okay, and what's the age difference between Joshua Young and Trey? Nine months. Okay. When Amanda began the relationship with Gowker, Terry raised concerns with the family court system when Trey was three years old and had a custody order put in place that would not allow Amanda to have Trey when Gowker was present in her home. Oh, mm-hmm. that's a big red flag. Yeah. Terry had a sixth sense about Gowker. He had known him from his childhood and knew that he could be violent and that he was unable to hold down a job. He didn't want him around Trey at all. 
Oh, so they all grew up together. Mm-hmm. All of these people grew up together in the same community. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. This is some drama. And apparently Harry had dated Angie before their oh, relationship. Wow. And yeah, well, it's a small town. They're all growing up together. They're all going to end up dating each other at one point in time. But Gowker was a charmer and Amanda was under his spell. They were married despite the custody agreement and despite Amanda suffering physical and emotional abuse at Gowker's hands. Oh, The final straw in their relationship would come during a hotel stay when Amanda narrowly escaped with her life. Gowker held her over the balcony railing of the (gasps) hotel. No. Mm -hmm. The only reason that he didn't harm her anymore was because a cleaning lady by chance came by and saw the commotion. And when she approached, it stopped the interaction and Amanda was able to get away. Whoa. That cleaning lady literally saved her life. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. That's just infuriating to me when a spouse can treat another spouse like that. Like domestic violence is just so terrible. It is awful. And his behavior would just keep repeating over and over. His criminal career was no less active and volatile than his love life. Gowker's teen and adult life would be riddled with crime and serving time in jail. He sounds like a real winner, Melissa. Why are girls attracted to that? I don't understand. Not to victim blame at all. Apparently, he was just really, really charming and could almost get his way with anybody. And after seeing how he kind of manipulates the detectives on the case and jury, it's incredible. And we see that a lot in cases that happens a lot in like psychopaths or Mm -hmm. especially cult leaders and stuff where they're super charismatic and people are kind of drawn into them. And that seems to be what Gowker's personality was like. Yeah, he's definitely mastered that art of manipulation. Mm -hmm. From 2001 to 2010, Gowker would spend the majority of his time in correctional facilities in Kentucky. From violating protective orders to assault, trying to escape and robbery, he had a slew of charges against him. One of his assaults was towards a 72-year-old man that had offered him a ride home after drinking at a bar. Seriously? Yeah, it seems that he felt like he was a pretty powerful guy against women and old men, I guess. Yeah, yeah, super powerful guy. Yeah, true dirtbag. Yeah. You know, guys like that just, you just want to see them get knocked down to their proper level, right? (laughs) Like picking on women, children, and seniors. Yeah, real tough, real tough guy. Gowker would remain in jail until June 2010. While Gowker was in prison, Joshua Young was being raised by his mother, Angie Young. And at times, he spent extended periods with relatives because Angie's inability to care for him. She too suffered from drug addictions and had served time in jail for petty theft and writing fraudulent checks. Young had very limited contact with Gowker during his childhood, only seeing him on rare occasions when his grandmother Ruby would take him for visits to see his father. Okay. In 2003, both of Young's parents were serving time in prison. Angie voluntarily gave him up into a temporary guardianship order to other relatives. Okay. In a stable home, Young started to flourish. He started to excel academically and competed at a statewide spelling competition. Wow, good Mm -hmm. for him. When Angie was released from prison, she came to collect her son. Without telling anyone, she had a joyful reunion with her son in the backyard of the family's home and convinced him that they would be leaving immediately to start a new life in Florida. Oh, no. Unfortunately, that wasn't the legal thing to do, and she was charged with kidnapping the very confused nine-year-old little boy. Yeah. It would take Angie over a year to go through proper channels to get Young back. Yeah, you have to go through those channels. You can't just come out of prison and go grab your kid who you've signed custody over. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, during this time, he's nine. He doesn't understand what's happening and he wants to be with his mom. Well, that happens a lot with children who get kidnapped by a parent, Mm -hmm. right? They don't know that they're being kidnapped. No. 
After a brief attempt at a life in Florida, the mother and son settled into a new routine in the same community that Angie had grown up in. And Young and Trey would play together. Okay. Mm-hmm. As children. They lived in the same apartment building. Yeah. And have connections. Mm-hmm. It appeared that Angie was making an effort to turn things around. When Young was 12, his mother gave birth to a baby sister who he was instantly enthralled with. But it wasn't long before Angie was diagnosed with hepatitis C and struggled to work and care for her children when she was sick. Young took on the majority of care for his young baby sister and began to miss large chunks of time at school to do so. Oh, and that's sad when that happens. Mm -hmm. And we know he has the potential to do well in school because he was thriving. When it was brought to the attention of the Children's Protective Services, both children were placed in foster care. Once back in foster care, Young started to flourish again alongside his sister, although this time he appeared a little bit more withdrawn at times understandable Mm -hmm. he was described by his foster parents as being a sweet and responsible young boy who was very maternal towards his little sister in early 2010 angie's health had improved and the children were once again reunited with their mother in addition to her new fiance and a new baby brother oh so in the time that her two older children were in foster care she had had a new baby with a new man But the happy reunion wouldn't last long. After spending a picturesque Saturday taking part in Easter festivities as a family in April 2010, Young, instead of waking up to the surprises left by the Easter bunny the next morning, woke to the tragic scene of Angie's death. What? Mm -hmm. She had overdosed on methadone and was found by Young. No. Mm -hmm. Just a few months after being put back in her care, he found his mom dead of an overdose. That's a lot of trauma for one kid to pack already. Absolutely. After the tragic event, Angie's two older children were placed in foster care again with the same family that they had actually been placed with before. And I think good on them for doing that. That is nice. Despite the hardships that they had endured, once again, the two children started again to make a happy life for themselves. The family made plans to adopt the children. Okay, why can't the story just end there? Yeah. Like, okay, they adopted them. He grew up to be an upstanding guy, got married, had a great life. And that story. That could have totally happened had he stayed there. Young's little sister's adoption went through, but his didn't because (gasps) Gawker's parental rights had never been terminated. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. Gawker. Gawker was still in jail at the time. He received the news that Angie had died and that someone else was trying to adopt his son. Oh, and by the sounds of him, he would have nothing to do with that. That's right. The day after Gawker's released in October 2010, he started the process of getting custody of Young. Uh He charmed Young's caseworker to help him do so. So rather than this nice family, this foster family who already has his sister. Who he's super attached to. Yeah, has trust, good bonds. Like, no, we won't try and keep him there. Let's help this dirtbag dad. Who's been in jail for the last nine years. Yeah, and is a known abuser to try and get custody of his kid. And it really hasn't had a relationship with this no. child at all since he was two. No, not at yeah. all. That's messed up. I always think it's kind of interesting when you hear about moments like these, how I feel like it sets the wheels in motion. A different decision would have totally changed the trajectory of this case, of That's these right. people's lives. So remember that this is October 2010. Okay. The first thing that Gawker needed to secure was a kid-friendly residence. And for this, he turned back to Amanda, who was recently singled. She had just learned that she and Gawker were actually still legally married, despite her signing divorce papers and marrying another man. What? Mm -hmm. How the heck? She had signed papers that he had sent her, and she had sent them back to Gawker while he was in prison, but he never filed them. Of course he didn't. So over a meeting to discuss finalizing their divorce, Gawker actually talked Amanda into giving him a second shot. He is slick. He is so slick. 
After all, he was a changed man. After spending time in prison to be reformed, he was getting his life turned around so that he could save his son from foster care. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we'll just get back together. We're meant to be and we can raise our sons together. That's right. She fell for it. And the two started their relationship back up. But he has this ulterior motive of using her residence as this secure place where Child Protective Services are going to see it as an acceptable residence for his son. Oh, yeah, because now he has a built-in mommy and brother. Mm -hmm. Gauker moved into her house and used it as a staging ground for his supervised visits with Young that started October 28th, 2010. Oh, so the same month he's released. Yep. By Christmas time, he had convinced CPS that unsupervised visits would be a good idea. By Christmas time? Mm -hmm. Just two months later? Two months, yep. The family presented a perfect picture of a blended family. Amanda's two children, Trey and Mackenzie, would stay at her house every other week and would be companions for Young to play video games and hang out with on the visits. During supervised visits, all the children appeared to be getting along really well. Unfortunately, it wasn't long after that that Gauker started in to his past ways. It was difficult to maintain the facade of a changed man, and it began to slip any time he felt that there was no one around that would snitch on him to CPS. Hmm. He began to abuse Amanda again, just like the first time they were married. Or I guess they were still married the whole time. But Yeah, first time they were together. Mm-hmm. Amanda also had suspicions that Gauker was not being honest with her about his relationship with his cousin Cassie, who lived a few doors down. His cousin? Yep. Apparently it's through marriage, but yeah, it was oh. his cousin. Well, I'm glad it's through marriage <laughs> at least, but still, I, she's your cousin. Yeah, I found one source that said that it was through marriage. Let's hope that's true. Still his cousin. Yeah. He frequently stayed at her house when Amanda had her children and Young was not on a visit. In January 2001, her suspicions were confirmed when Gauker butt-dialed Amanda while he was having sex with Cassie. <laughs> no! So like on Grey's Anatomy. Yes! <laughs> Any Grey's Anatomy fans know exactly <laughs> what scene I'm talking about. Well, I didn't right. think that happened in real life. No, totally did. Butt-dialed. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't like aired for the whole OR to hear at no. the same time. So along with the lovemaking, Amanda Hergauker call her expendable because he was just using her for her house and family setup. Oh, so he was talking smack about her too mm-hmm. to his cousin Afterwards, that he's yeah. having sex with. Yep. Oh, what a dirtbag. Mm-hmm. I want to punch this guy. It was then that Amanda realized that their relationship wasn't going to work. It's just really hard because women who are in these domestic violence situations have a hard time sometimes breaking away. Well, and this was a really hard realization for her because she had actually just learned that she was pregnant with Gauker's child. Mm -hmm. She made the hard decision to have an abortion because she didn't want it to be more difficult to leave Gauker than she already knew it was going to be. When Gauker learned of the abortion, he was not happy at all. Oh, I can imagine. But at the same time, he recognized that he was treading on thin ice with Amanda and he didn't confront her about the abortion. He still needed her address and her family life to convince CPS so that he could get young back. Well, yeah, he's still just using her. Mm -hmm. He became charming again and the cycle abuse would begin anew in the home and their relationship would become on and off again on a weekly basis. Oh, that's really sad. It was reported that during this time, Trey began to spend more time at his mom's house despite the previous custody arrangements of not being able to be in a place that Gauker was in. Oh, right. Mm Mm-hmm. I kind of forgot about that. Yeah. So why didn't his dad, Terry, cause more of a fuss about that? He knows they're living together and still married. So I think that laid into some of the week on, week off things. When Amanda had her children, Gauker would go and live at his cousin Cassie's house. Oh, and that's where one thing led to another. Yeah, with your cousin. Ew. There were some that believed that Trey was spending more time at his mom's with his little sister and his mom to make sure that they were okay. 
the abuse wasn't being hidden in the house. So he knew what was going on between his mom and Gowker. But Gowker had never laid his hands on Trey? Nope. Others believe that it might have been because Amanda had allowed him to bring home a little puppy. So a little puppy that he didn't have at his dad's house. Oh, yeah, that could do it. And so I think it was probably a bit of both. Yeah. Right? It's always both. That's right. <laughs> it's it's a mix somewhere in between. Right. Right. Poor little guy, though. Amanda had allowed Trey to bring home this little puppy on the condition that he would train it. But unfortunately, Trey was not great at training. And Amanda asked him a few weeks after he brought home this puppy to find it a new home. What? Yet, I guess it was just destroying their house. Like nobody was teaching it not to go to the bathroom in the house and... Oh. It was doing some damage. So she asked him if he could maybe ask his grandparents if it could stay at their house. Anyone who's had a new puppy knows how much work they are. They are a ton of work. But usually you don't get a puppy and expect your child to do all the work. Usually you have that understanding. Even if you tell them it's their responsibility, we all know as moms, you're going to be doing most of that work yourself. Right. Yeah. And you would assume that, but I guess that wasn't the case in this house. So when the puppy wasn't home one day after work, Amanda just assumed that Trey had found it in a new home. But that wasn't the case either. Oh, Gowker yeah. mm-hmm. did something to the dog. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because he's the one who does all the animal cruelty. Yep. He has a history of it. Oh. Gowker had taken matters into his own hand and beat the puppy to death. <gasps> no. Mm-hmm. With a baseball bat. No. With a bat? Mm-hmm. Trey was devastated. Did he see this happening? I don't think he saw it happening. They just knew that it had happened. So he knew that yeah, mom's husband mm-hmm. beat my dog to death. Yeah, because Gowker admitted a it. A puppy. Mm-hmm. So not only does he prey on women and seniors, now he's preying on puppies. Yep. Or still, I guess. Yep. Gowker later admitted this, showing no remorse, but said that he had offered Amanda a bag of weed as a consolation. A bag of weed? Mm-hmm. What about to Trey? Yeah, no. It was Trey's dog. Nope. Nothing to him. And actually, he did the same thing to Trey's younger sister's cat. Oh, my gosh. So he killed it and threw it in the dumpster. He's a piece of work. Yeah. Okay, I'm really leaning towards Galker as <laughs> the be killer. Galker now, it right? has to. He, it's just so clear. He's an abuser. He's a predator. And he doesn't sound like somebody that's going to put his life on a line for his son. No. No, not at all. No, I don't think so. He did not fall on the sword for his son. The animal abuse wouldn't be reported until much later, and it definitely was not brought to the attention of the CPS. So on March 24th, 2011, Gowker was granted temporary custody of Young. Unknown to CPS, Young was set up with a bedroom at Cassie's house on a pallet in the dining room, not at Amanda's house, where they had had all their visits and CPS had actually viewed and... So he's keeping him at the cousin's house. Mm-hmm. Why? I think it was because of this on again, off again relationship that he had with Amanda. So it sounds like Young would go back and forth between Cassie and Amanda's house. Huh. As if the kid hasn't had enough trauma, right? Right. And instability. Yeah. That yeah. is really strange. Mm-hmm. And just selfish. It just shows that his dad, that Young's dad just doesn't really... No, he care about his best interests. It's just about what is good for dad. No, I think this shows clearly that he just sees him more as a possession. He's his. And so he wants him. It doesn't right. matter what is best for this child at all. Yeah. Even though I'm only going to see him once in a while at the cousin's house while I'm cheating on my wife. Yeah. When CPS would do their investigations, it was made to look like Young was actually staying at Amanda's house. So then he's probably having his kid lie for him. Mm-hmm. All of them lying for him. Cassie's lying for him. Amanda's lying for him. Young's lying for him. 
So with little supervision and structure, Young began to spiral quickly and started to enjoy the freedom that came from living with his father. Yeah. He started missing school and falling behind in his advanced placement classes. He was a 15-year-old left to his own devices. Oh, man. Mm -hmm. After the death of his mother. The tragic death Mm -hmm. and traumatic death of finding his mother. Yeah. And now, like going back to what you had just said, now we know that Young will lie for his father. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, I'm totally right now pinning it on dad. CPS and Galker's parole officer really dropped the ball in all accounts. For sure. Mm -hmm. But in light of his success with being able to manipulate the CPS worker and his parole officer, Galker became even more controlling. On May 9th, 2011, just a day after a family cookout for Mother's Day, Galker would convince Amanda that she needed to quit her management job at McDonald's, a job that she had worked at for over 14 years. His persuasion came in the way of his hands around her neck. (gasps) When she was at work, he wasn't able to keep tabs on her actions or her conversations. Oh, wow. That is clear abuser sign. Mm -hmm. Not that she needed another sign at this point. Yeah. After tearfully telling her boss about her resignation, Gowker convinced Amanda that she would feel better about her job if they celebrated with another cookout with family and friends the next day. She went along with it. She was still sad about her job and had tried to arrange to get it back, but Gowker intercepted her plans to meet with her boss. He is scary. Mm-hmm. And totally manipulative. Oh, yeah. And so controlling. Mm-hmm. But he plays all this nice guy the next day. They um, always do. I just want to be around you so much. I love you so much. This is why you should quit your job and just spend your yeah. time with me. And I'll take care of you. Even though he can't hold down a job. Yeah. Oh, this guy. So some may wonder why Amanda would let Gauker control her like that, especially when she knew he was abusive and dangerous to be around. The abortion is proof that she recognized the danger. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. But that's the mind frame of someone who's become used to abuse. Mm-hmm. Based on past court orders issued on her behalf, Amanda had not participated in a single relationship during her adult life that it was not marred by domestic violence. Oh, that is so sad. Mm-hmm. The victims will always find a way to justify what's happening. Perhaps the abuse was their fault or that it's worth it because the good times are so good or it's just plain hopelessness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They can blame themselves. And if she's never had a healthy relationship, she just will think that this is what relationships are. And it seems like in all of this dysfunction, it seems like that's what everybody just thought. This is normal to happen. Yeah. I wonder if she grew up in a household like that, if she witnessed domestic abuse. Yeah, maybe. Because that would reiterate from a young age that it's just normal. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah, I don't know. Which it is not. Totally not okay. But for whatever reason, Amanda chose to stay with Gowker. Wow. Poor Amanda. Nobody can judge. Like until you've been through that. No. There's no way you can. On the outside looking in, we can say, you know, why wouldn't she just leave? But it's It's so much more complicated than that. Absolutely. So on May 10th, friends and family gathered at the house for a cookout eating around 7.30 p.m. Amanda's kids, Young was there, and Cassie's kids were over as well. Oh, Cassie has kids too. Mm -hmm. Yep. So they were all joined together having a family (laughs) cookout. Cassie's there? Mm -hmm. Wait, it took me a second for my brain to process that. So Amanda is having this cookout because her husband has made her quit her job and she's all sad. And he invites the cousin that he's sleeping with to the cookout. Yeah, or Amanda did. I don't know. I can't see Amanda doing it. But yeah, she's she's there at the cookout. Oh, apparently it was this whole big neighborhood party thing. This is crazy mm-hmm. the kids were playing basketball in the streets the adults were socializing on amanda's back deck 
It was wow. Yeah, a big night. It was festive. As the party wound down, the kids started to go in for their baths around 9 p.m. to get ready for school the next day. Amanda offered Cassie a place to bath her children because her water was currently shut off, but she turned down the invitation, so she went back to her own house. After the kids were all settled and the neighbors had all left, Amanda and Gowker settled on the back deck for some alone time. (laughs) You should have seen Melissa's face when she said alone time. That kind of time. Okay. Apparently the party had lifted Amanda's spirits. Gowker unscrewed the three motion detection lights so that they wouldn't be seen having a romp on the back deck. (laughs) The motion detector lights. Because he was planning on some motion. Yeah. While on the back deck, they were caught by Trey, who was now fully dressed back in his street clothes as he came out of the back door of the house. When he saw his mom and Gowker, he ducked back inside the house. Yeah, no kidding. Mm-hmm. So they assumed that this was around 10, 1030. And honestly, as I'm thinking about it, wouldn't it be less effort to go into the house rather than unscrew all these light bulbs? Just like you said, the two adults thought it was best to move their private party indoors. Yeah, you don't bump uglies on your porch. After their activities, they headed out to the local convenience store for cigarettes and returned in a mood for more sex. This time, Christy's laughing I'm not done with my story. It gets so much worse. Just like the iconic, like, afterwards lighting a cigarette. Like, yeah. They needed more cigarettes and then wanted to have more sex. Okay. Yeah. Got you. <laughs> Did he get an energy bar? Perhaps, because the (laughs) next time they had sex, when they got back, they videotaped their escapades. (gasps) Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. At Gowker's insistence. Amanda would later claim that after watching the video back and being satisfied with his performance on camera, he fell asleep and she stayed up to watch TV, unable to fall asleep. (laughs) Probably traumatized by the video. (laughs) Well, apparently there was a banana involved. Oh. And that's what they were videoing. The next morning, she was super tired. She briefly awoke to the noise in the bathroom, which she figured was Trey getting ready for school, and went back to sleep. Not waking again until it was Mackenzie's turn to get ready for school. It was a usual thing for Trey to get ready and off to school on his own without seeing his mom in the morning. I can see that with teenagers. This 14-year-old got himself up, everything ready, and got off to school by himself. Right. Later that morning, with no need to go to work, Gowker suggested that they visit a nearby lake to feed the ducks. And did they leave their bananas at home? Yeah. Oh, good. So Amanda went along with the plan because she found feeding the ducks relaxing. They also paid an impromptu visit at a house that was listed for rent and called the agent to have them show it to them. So he's really working overtime on sucking up right now. Mm -hmm. While viewing the house, Gowker made a slip when speaking to the agent about having two children and Amanda picked up on it. She asked him if he thought that Young would not be staying with him. Gowker brushed off her observation, saying that no one needed to know all the specifics about their family. Is Trey already dead at this point? Yeah, unfortunately. When they returned home, Amanda got her first jolt that something was wrong. Oh my goodness. Trey's backpack was at the house, but it was too early for him to be home from school. He was a super responsible kid that never missed school, did well in school. And so she's like, his backpack's here, but he shouldn't be home from school yet. What's going on? Right. And you wonder too if she just had a sixth sense. She started calling him frantically, but he wasn't picking up. Oh my goodness. So, okay, this to me sounds like he knew then that Trey was already dead, which again points to him because no, we only have two kids. He's thinking her daughter and his son. Yeah. Oh, he totally did it. And can you imagine you're spending this wonderful day out feeding the ducks and looking at an apartment with a man who just murdered your son? Well, maybe that's why he was being so nice to her. Yeah. Because that's more out of character. For sure. The day before he had his hands around her neck. Yeah. 
While Amanda was making calls to Trey and trying to track him down, a family member called her to say that a dead body had been found at the school near their home and a whole police investigation was taking place just behind their house. Oh. At Liberty High School, for the afternoon session, a school teacher had decided to allow her class to go out for a walk and do their studies outside because the weather was so nice. On their walk, a few children noticed a ditch behind the school, frequently known to the local teens as The Spot, where there was a body face down in the mud. Oh, no. Unknown to the teacher and the students who immediately contacted security and had 911 called, Trey's wicker laid face down in the mud, his head bashed in with a blunt force object. He had been dead since the early morning hours. Oh. Trey's hair was matted with blood and blood pooled around his head and face. When the body was moved, they found that the face had taken such a beating that the eyes were blackened holes caused by a broken eye socket and his <gasps> nose being broken along with his jaw. Oh. His whole face had a caved in appearance. No. His left arm was folded under his body and his right arm was outstretched. His body was positioned with his head towards the creek and his feet in the direction of the entrance to the ditch. Blood splatter was everywhere, on rocks, in the mud, and on overhead tree branches and in nearby bushes. Oh, so that's the crime scene then. That's not just where the body was dumped. Absolutely. There was blood everywhere. Oh, and how terrible for all these school kids to find that. Yeah. So in this small community, everybody is gathering around where the police are putting the police tape up. And as the police investigation started, the community members gathered around the ditch in the culvert area. And this is the scene that both Trey's parents, Amanda and Terry, would come across when they got there. No. Mm -hmm. So they saw their son like that. Yeah. Terry was alerted by a friend <sighs> that the school was looking for him because Trey had not shown up for school that day. And when he got to the crime scene, he convinced the detective to look at the body. Standing some distance away, so it was like on an overhead ridge, he was able to identify his son's 14-year-old frame. Amanda, watching Terry's reaction, received confirmation that it was her son on the ground. No. His reaction was so devastating that she knew instantly that it was Trey. Oh, for sure. Mm -hmm. You cannot hold back your emotions when something like that happens. No, she just fell down to the ground. Oh, I believe it. And was it. like sobbing and... No. It would have been awful. No, that's unimaginable. A parent should never have to go through that. No. So police were at the scene and were observing the crowd and making lists of people to interview immediately. And so when they saw both Terry and Amanda's reactions, they were questioned immediately and asked if they knew anyone who would do this to their son. Terry pointed to Gowker out to the detectives immediately. Oh, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just go read his rap sheet. Amanda, in her distraught state, could not think of anyone. Her interview only lasted 14 minutes before it had to be ended because she was so emotional. Right. Gowker and Young were both interviewed the same night at the school within viewing distance of the crime scene. So they were interviewing everyone at the school. Like mm -hmm. They chose that as their place to interview? Yeah. During his interview and multiple times after that night, Gowker tried to talk the police into letting him see the body or at least a picture of it so that he could confirm that it was his stepson. Are you serious? Mm -hmm. So Even, I'm not going to take his own dad's word for it. I need no. to make sure. Yeah, I need to make sure myself. They eventually did show him pictures of the crime scene. And he even convinces the investigating officer to allow Amanda to stay with him while he's being questioned, stating that he's afraid for her fragile emotional state, which is totally against procedure. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. During the interview, though, he's wearing the same shirt that he wore to the store the night before. And there's no blood on it. Nope. Yeah, but you can take off a shirt and put it back on. He's manipulative, remember? Yeah. Yeah, he could totally have done that. I'm not taking that as hard evidence. <laughs> 
So this act that he has with Amanda, he keeps playing this card for the whole next month with her and that he's just trying to be this supportive husband and take care of her. He acts as this big protective guy wanting to shield her from anything that would upset her, never letting her out of his sight and refusing visits from her friends and family on her behalf. He probably wants to make sure she's not going to spill the beans about what a dirtbag he is. Mm -hmm. He effectively isolates her and keeps tabs on her. Yeah. Yeah. During Gauker's interview, he points suspicion at some local African-American youth that the local kids had been having some conflicts with. Oh, oh. And that accusation came with some big ramifications. What a low life. Race tensions were already high in the area and Gauker purposely pointed the finger in that direction. It was just another way that he was manipulating the situation to fulfill his needs. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. He's terrible. Yeah. I'm so angry. In his later confession during the trial, he actually jokes about how he used the racial tension to throw investigators off his trail and laughs about the very real possibility of someone else getting killed because of his allegations. He thinks this is just a big joke. He's a complete dirtbag. Yeah. It's even sad that that's even an option, like to play a race card, right? Like that is so terrible in and of itself. Mm -hmm. But he purposely does it. Yeah, to do it on purpose and then laugh about it. Oh, he's crazy. On the night of the body being found, Young was also interviewed completely alone at 6.21 p.m. He states that he had been out the cookout and that the last time he saw Trey was when Trey got out of the shower around 10 p.m. He was wearing his clothes again, not his pajamas. And when he was asked if he thought Trey was heading back out, he denied any knowledge of it, saying that Trey doesn't really do anything like that. And that if he was going back out, he would have told him about it. He makes a comment about them being brothers. Police review Trey's cell phone history and find that there's no activity after 6 p.m. the night of the cookout. So he likely didn't go out to go hang out with friends. Several people report that he got dressed after having a shower saying he was going to bed. So he did get right. dressed again. And it sounds like he was trying to sneak out the back door. Right. When, but he went back in when he, but he found went back his in. mom and, and Gauker, right? Mm-hmm. During the next few weeks, police continued their investigation, interviewing the family a second time. This time, Young's story changed a little from his first recount, and Gauker's story gets a little bit more embellished. Gauker says that Trey was afraid of the dark and would not have gone alone to the spot. He tells the detectives about Trey trying to sneak out, and he goes into explicit detail about his and Amanda's sex tape with a banana. Oh, I wonder if that's why he did the sex tape. It totally was. It was so that he would have an alibi. And is there any reports of what time Trey died? Was it during the evening or was it the next morning? It was during the very early morning hours. So when so like the just aut- after midnight, that kind of a yep. thing? When the autopsy okay. is done on his body, they figure that it was about four hours after his last meal. And Amanda says that they ate around 7.30. Okay. So 11.30. 11.30, kind of 12.30 range. Okay. So about an hour after he was seen on the back deck. Okay. And when did they finish making their sex tape? Like 1.30. Oh. Mm -hmm. Don't tell me that because he's got to be good for this. None of the evidence kind of adds up. And that's just an estimate, right? Time of death based on stomach contents. That's just an estimate. But they said like no sooner than four hours after he last ate. Right. Gelker also tells police that Trey would never and had never stolen anything from him and asked multiple times about the details about the crime scene and the body again. What a sicko. Which often murderers want to relive the crime. They want to, like, they will often visit the crime scene and stuff. So this is just making him look worse. Mm-hmm. So Young, in his second statement on May 19th, again without any adults present, Young claimed that he never saw Trey after the cookout and never returned to Amanda's house that night. 
this was a contradiction between his first statement made the night that Trey's body was found. He claims now that he went to watch movies at Cassie's house and crashed there. He continued to deny knowing anything about Trey leaving the house, claiming that he didn't tell me if he did, which is strange. He usually tells me everything. That's my brother. Hmm. As time wore on, the police started closing in on the murderer being someone close to Trey. They recognized the leads that were first thrown at them about the Bridgetown kids were totally bogus. Yeah, and it seems like such a personal attack. Like, by his injuries, Mm -hmm. that is a rage killing. Yep. Amanda would take out an emergency protective order after the funeral against Gowker. She says that Gauker had bragged about talking Angie into committing suicide and hinted at her belief that he was somehow involved with her son's death. So in her protective order, these are the claims that she's making. He's hinting to her that, yeah, I killed your son and I can do it to you type of a thing. No, she didn't say that. She just said that she had suspicions about him being involved in her son's death. Okay. So that tells you a lot. Mm -hmm. This is the man you're married to, who you're living with, and if you're suspecting him. And this is the woman that actually is his alibi. Yeah. Ooh, true. Mm -hmm. During his testimony at Young's murder trial, he laughingly comments about how he had visited the police department for questioning in June, and he was so sure that he was going to get arrested that he was utterly shocked when they let him return home. So he's super cocky. Yeah. Oh, I hate people like this. You can just picture that smug look on his face, right? Well, you can watch it. You just want to like... It's on YouTube. Slap it off his face. When he's making fun of them, like, he's like, yeah, I thought they were going to arrest me then, but they let me walk out. On June 13th, Gauker fled the state with Young in his mother's car. He was helped, knowingly or unknowingly, by two women that he had also had or was having relationships with. (laughs) He was clearly a man that got around. These two women, Angelique and Jahara, were to accompany Gauker and Young across the border to Mississippi and then drive his mom's car back to her. So he had orchestrated this whole kind of trip where they were going to flee south. Yeah. And you don't run if you're not guilty. Yeah. Before reaching their destination, the car broke down. They were able to get it to a service station. And then from there, they hitched a ride to a nearby hotel. There they stayed for two nights, and then Angelique secured a bus ticket with the help of her grandfather to return home to go back to work on the Wednesday. The other three hitched a ride to Huntsville, Alabama. And just left the mom's car there. Yeah, they just left the mom's car, abandoned it. Gauker's next move would be their undoing. Erin Speck was staying at the same hotel. She became a target of Gauker's. He convinced Jahara to take Young and go and convince the women that they were victims of domestic abuse and desperately needed a ride to the bus station. The woman agreed to take them to the bus station the next morning. When they climbed in Aaron's car, Gauker jumped in for a ride as well. How scary would that be for Aaron? Because they have told her this story of domestic abuse and then he gets in the car? Yep. Wouldn't you be peeing your pants a little at that point? Well, they didn't present him as being the domestic partner. He was just some random guy that jumped in their car. They pretended not to know each other. Oh, Mm -hmm. so he was like a hijacker kind of a thing? Well, no, he just was like, oh, you're going to the bus station. Can I jump in too? And before they knew it, he was in the car. And so at first he's like this big, awkward kind of third party. So again, his son is lying for him, pretending he doesn't know him. Well, it sounds like during this whole situation with Aaron, because she goes on to later to testify that Young didn't really say a lot during this whole time Mm -hmm. period. He just kind of kept his head down. But it wasn't long before Aaron knew that something was up with this whole relationship between Jahara and Gauker. She figured out that they knew each other. Yeah. Gauker pulled out a gun and started telling Aaron where to drive next. Over the next six hours, they progressed along their journey, eventually stopping at the roadway inn in Homewood, Alabama. 
There, after some threats of bodily harm, Aaron was released and Gauker, Jahara, and Young settled in for the night at the hotel. Wow. Mm-hmm. He's so brazen. Like, he's not even worried that she's going to run to the police. Like, okay, she dropped us off here, but let's just stay for the night. Well, he threatens her that this is my son's life on the line, so you can't go to the police. It's not a big surprise when police show up at the inn on June 17th, the next day. Because she goes right to the police. Yeah. Gauker and Jahara and Young are all arrested for kidnapping. Yeah. Because they held somebody at gunpoint. They did. Mm -hmm. Jahara and Gauker are held in the prison and Young who was the subject of an Amber Alert for the second time in his life, was returned to Louisville under the supervision of a social worker on June 18, 2011. Poor kid. Young was interviewed again on June 21st about Trey's murder and denies having told anyone that he had a hand in Trey's death and that he never saw Trey after the barbecue. He becomes frustrated that detectives keep asking him the same questions and denies lying purposely in his first interview. When the detectives bring up rumors that Young has told other people that he's confessed to killing Trey, he says, I never said anything like that. Hmm. This interview takes place right before Gauker calls the main detective from the Alabama prison at 4 p.m. that same day. During this interview, Gauker says the Saturday after the murder, Young confessed to him that he killed Trey. Yeah, he's worried now he's been taken in by the police like, oh, I got to pin it on my son. That's what I think. He says that the two of them had sat down and smoked a blunt together. And that's when everything came out. Young had told Gelker that he and Trey had gone out after the cookout that night to go vandalize some stuff and smoke marijuana at the spot. Young had said that Trey was carrying a bat with him, and when Trey pulled out his phone to check the time, Young took the bat and beat him with it. And even when Trey fell, he couldn't stop hitting him. So these are the claims that Gauker is making that Young has told him. And his son has not been violent before this. It doesn't look like it in his record. Yeah. And we look at all this violence that his dad has done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Gauker told the detective of several people that had heard Young confess. And at the time, this included his mother, Ruby, Cassie, Angelique, and Jahara. (laughs) Yeah. All these people that he can get to lie for him. Mm Mm-hmm. The detective then tries to confirm those allegations by speaking with each of these people. But Gauker is in on the conversation because he says that each of these women are loyal to him and that they will only speak after he gives them permission. (gasps) No. Mm -hmm. And honestly, what detective is going to believe that this young teenage boy is going to confess not to his friends or someone like that, but he's going to confess to these women that his dad's involved with? All these adults? Yeah. Baloney. Well... Through some really dramatic phone conversations with the detective present, all agree eventually that Young did confess to them, but there's a lot of persuasion from Gauker that takes place before they do so. And you can listen to these conversations on YouTube. They play them during the court case and... The way he manipulates them is so crazy. He manipulates the police officers. The police officers and these four women. Oh my goodness. Yeah. He's telling them that he's going to have to take the rap if they don't tell the truth. And he's over and over again tells them like, tell the truth. I told you to tell the truth. And the first couple of times they're like, "Uh, no, he didn't say that. And he's like, no, I really need you to tell the truth. Like now is the time to tell the truth. And so eventually these four women confirmed that Young confessed and... By the time that they confirm these things, they either sound completely dumbfounded by what's happening or some of them are even in tears. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because they're being strong armed into it. How can the police not even like recognize like these four women all start with the same story and then get strong armed into changing their story? 
Or I wonder if Gauker had threatened their lives to never tell. Maybe Young actually did confess to them. And then Gauker has threatened them with their life to never tell a soul. Yeah, no. No, you don't think so? No, no, I don't buy it. Cassie, when she was asked who killed Trey, she answers Gauker. Like she says, you did. Twice before she says Young was involved. Yeah. He had to have done it. But then Gauger goes on and says, Cassie, you know, I've talked to the detective. You're not going to get in trouble. I need you to tell the truth. Like, it's my life on the line now. I need you to tell the truth. So he convinces her that, you know, you're not going to get in trouble. I need you to come out and tell me, you know, the actual truth. And so after he says these statements, Cassie makes the claim that Young actually did tell her that he killed Trey the night of the murder, that he showed up at her house around 1 to 2.30 in the morning and asked her to help him hide the evidence, that she got out of bed and drove him to a dumpster where he deposited a bag of bloody clothes and a baseball bat that had blood on it. And did they retrieve this? Nope, the murder weapon was never found. And what grown woman is going to do that when a teenage boy comes to wake you up? Can you help me hide the evidence? Without question. Yeah. Oh, sure, honey. You need to go watch the trial because honestly, Cassie is a piece of work. She's like, they ask her those exact questions on the stand and be like, why would you go along with this? Like, why did this not raise suspicions? Yeah, you're an adult. This is a child. Yeah. And she's like, well, he woke me up in the middle of the night and I I thought he was just joking. Okay, you thought he was joking, but next day the kid shows up dead. Then you don't go to the police. And you've seen him throw a bloody bat into a dumpster? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and then she says she was afraid of Gauker and that's why she didn't come forward. Wow. Who isn't afraid of Gauker at this point? Right. Gauker, during his statement to Detective Ross, made several claims about Young's frame of mind, saying that he didn't lose any sleep over the murder and that he was just a cold-hearted person. So he starts spewing all this stuff about who his son is. Oh, he's laying it on thick. Mm -hmm. Really thick. Young was arrested for Trey's murder in late June 2011. Oh. While in juvenile detention in August 2011, so just a month later, Young wrote to his uncle. And in that letter, it reads... I don't know where to start. I miss you and I didn't do this. And then he later says that they're setting me up. Dad, cousin Cassie and Mama Ruby. Dad's just getting them all to go against me. They know the truth. I didn't do it. Yeah, I have to say I'm tending to believe him. Young was indicted on November 17, 2011 as an adult for Trey's murder and for tampering with evidence. His trial would not start until July 2013. But they never found the evidence that they're saying he tampered with. No. So how can you charge him with tampering with evidence when you don't even have that evidence? Evidence. You don't know for sure that he tampered with it. You're believing a cousin that's sleeping with his dad. Yep. But in the greatest turn of events, on May 8th, 2013, almost two years to the day of Trey's death, Gauker steps forward and confesses and is indicted. Yeah, Mm -hmm. about time. Doing a 180 from previously saying that he had nothing to do at all with his stepson's death. Gauker had been released on the kidnapping charges in Alabama, and after some error in paperwork, Kentucky wasn't notified that he was released, and so he just walked out of prison, and then he comes back to Louisville saying that he still has unfinished business there. Yeah, I need to confess. Well, it wasn't confess. It turns out that he actually wanted to kill Amanda. Oh! That's what he says in the trial. The plot thickens. Mm Mm-hmm. So he came back to kill Amanda, but that ends up But then he gets, no, Jahara calls him in and he gets taken in on charges for the murder. So now they're trying to try them both for murder. But in some sort of fatherly act, he comes forward just as Young's trial is about to start and says, no, wait, I did it all myself. 
Gauker claimed that he murdered Trey because he believed that the boy had stolen his lighter and ate in a plate of food that was set aside for him. After Amanda went to sleep that night, he sat on the couch playing video games with Trey. He thought that he would invite Trey to go with him to the spot to smoke some marijuana and trick Trey into admitting that he had stole his lighter by asking for it. When Trey said that he didn't have it, Gauker said he decided to teach him a lesson and told him the next time you steal from me, I'm going to treat you like a man. And then Trey said something about, well, if you do, then you're going to have a problem with my dad. Mm. And apparently there was this bad blood between Terry and Gauker. Gauker said, then I just snapped. I hit him. He went down. I stepped on his hand and pulled out a bar that he had been holding in his hand. And I hit him with it. And before I knew it, it was over. Gauker said that he beat Trey to death with a metal pipe. He washed the pipe off when he went to Cassie's house and stripped and took a shower there. Then he said he put the pipe and his clothes in a grocery bag and left it in a dumpster behind a Mexican restaurant near his home the next day when he was on his little trip with Amanda. (gasps) Oh, that's sickening. Mm -hmm. When Gauker confessed, it was an open plea, meaning that he made no deal with the Commonwealth to let Young go and no deal for sentencing for himself. He claims that he pled guilty against his lawyer's counsel. So on July 26, 2013, Gauker was sentenced to life in prison based on his confession. Good. So there was no trial for him. He just went straight to jail. Yeah. So why is it not finished right here? Well, because despite Gauker testifying that he had killed Trey alone, the prosecution felt that there was still enough evidence that supported Young doing the killing or at least taking part. So they went forward with the trial as planned. Oh. They had Gauker's original testimony that Young had confessed to him about killing Trey. And they personally believed that his new confession was a ploy to get his son off the hook. No, he doesn't do anything for anyone but himself. And how can you throw one guy in jail for the crime and then attempt to throw another person in jail for the crime? For the exact same crime. For the exact same crime and believe different narratives for it too. Not even saying that they did it together. Just, okay, we'll put you to jail for that story and then we'll put him in jail for his story. How is that legal? How can that even happen? But that's what they did. So they're trying him for the murder as well. Yeah. They went back and forth between they didn't actually believe Gauker's original story. There was no prosecutor on Gauker's case. It was Mm. just a judge that accepted his confession. But the prosecutors on Young's case were like, no, he's just confessing to get his son off. So we need to learn the real truth. Yeah. That's why they went along with the trial. So they had Gauker's original testimony. And then alongside Gauker's claims, they still had these three women that Gauker had gave permission to tell Detective Ross what Young had said to them. Most damning was Cassie Gauker's statements that Young had come into her bedroom late the night of Trey's death on three different occasions trying to wake her up to get her to help him dispose of the murder weapon. So she's still saying, yeah, that happened. Even after Gauker's confessed, she's like, no. Right. Young came into my bedroom. This is what happened. And really, what teenage boy is going to do that? If they just murdered someone, are they really going to go get an adult to help them clean it up? Well, remember, this is the adult that he's staying with. Yeah, but still. She eventually got up and drove Young to a dumpster behind an apartment building where he disposed of the item. And then Cassie also claimed that Galker had told her originally that he was going to take this fall for his son. So she adds these pieces to her testimony saying, actually, Galker has told me that this was his plan all along. Yeah. On July 29th, Young's trial began. 
Two medical examiners testified at the trial, each giving their own interpretation of the evidence. Both agreed that it was unlikely that a wooden bat had been used as the murder weapon because of the absence of splinters in the wound beds, and that the marks left on the body were more cylindrical, leading them to believe that a metal rod was more probable because of the pattern of injuries on Trey's back. So that pokes a hole in Cassie's confession saying it was a baseball bat. That's right. But the examiners disagree on the possible presence of two attackers versus one. The senior ME felt that it was more probable that Trey's extensive injuries to his face had occurred as a result of his face being beaten down onto the rocks instead of blows directly to his face. Okay. So it was being crushed. Yeah. But the other medical examiner that had been the actual one to work the case, she felt that there were several blows delivered to the face before blows were delivered to the back of Trey's head. Yeah, you probably punched him in the face to knock him down. Mm -hmm. Both agreed, like we had said before, that the death had taken place within four hours of Trey's last meal. So during the trial, Gauker actually goes on the stand for his son. And his motives get a little bit more elaborate, saying that he actually planned Trey's murder because he felt slighted by Amanda for aborting his baby. His story was collaborated by Cassie, who said that Gauker had made statements to her about wanting to get back at Amanda and making statements about an eye for an eye. Yeah. So she killed his child. He was going to kill hers. That seems like a plausible story. Mm-hmm. That's motive right there. Yeah. And that's where he comes out with the... Why did you come back to Louisville in the first place? You were already on the run. Nobody knew where you were. And he's like, well, I needed to to finish some business. And they're like, well, what business did you have to attend to? And he's like, well, do I really have to say it? Like I needed to take care of Amanda. That was my real target. Oh, mm-hmm. I believe that though. Two inmates would also claim that Galker had told them the same story. One of the inmates went as far to say that Gauker planned the murder, but had his son carry it out, saying that Gauker called his child a demon child and saying that he was more than willing to kill Trey. No, he hasn't had any indication of violent behavior or angry outbursts or anything like that. When on the stand, though... When asked about specifics of the crime, Gauker says he doesn't remember a lot. The only thing that he can remember is that I just had Trey all over me. Mackenzie, Trey's little sister, testified during the trial. The fifth grader said that she saw Trey leave the house after having a shower that night. She was on the couch by the front door and fell asleep there, which would make it pretty hard for Gauker and Trey to be playing video games on the couch the next morning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's holes being punched in Gauker's story. Right. Unfortunately, her testimony kind of contradicted some previous interviews that she had had with a social worker. So okay. it was like this big discrepancy of whether she was on the couch or whether she wasn't on the couch. Right. And how but old I, is she when she's giving this testimony? Grade five. Yeah. Hard to say. Mm-hmm. And it's two years after the fact, right? Oh, yeah. But she remembers seeing her brother go out the door and she remembers sleeping on the couch. That's what she remembers at the trial. Like that's her testimony at the trial. Right. So after 10 days, on August 9th, the jury didn't believe that there was enough evidence beyond a reasonable doubt that Young had committed the murder and acquitted him of both charges. Okay. Young was released back into the custody of his previous foster parents and was a free person. Unfortunately, after spending two years in juvie awaiting his trial, he had trouble reacclimating to the world. And a month later, he would find himself back in prison for stealing at Walmart. That's so sad. Mm-hmm on the Dr. Phil show and when speaking with the author Brittany Ducker who wrote the book Accused that outlines Young's innocence and his difficulties Young said that his trouble sprouted from people not believing him and his acquittal in the closing chapters of the Accused the author talks about how she made contact with Gallagher and that at that time he made claims that not only is there zero chance that I could have killed Trey but I've got an alibi that can't be counterfeited or manipulated 
I've had it hidden this whole time so that I could save my son. Why is he going along with this crazy story? I don't know, but I believe it has something to do with image, book deals, fame, acceptance, and others, and crap like that. Josh can't be punished again, so the truth is about to come out. Gauker then warned her not to publish her book right away because things were going to change in the upcoming months. What? Her book was published in 2015. So that's how her book ends. Is like, these are the crazy claims that Gauker's making. Wow. Mm-hmm. But all this time when she's writing this book, Young's maintaining his innocence. Like, my dad framed me. Yeah. This is, I'm having such a hard time dealing with life because nobody believes that I'm innocent. And yeah, he's going public about it. Mm-hmm. And she writes this whole book in his defense. Hmm. Despite his foster families, the authors, and Dr. Phil's belief in his innocence, Young continued to struggle and has been in and out of jail for stealing cars, assaulting a girlfriend, public intoxication, and possession of drugs since then. Within six months of Young being found not guilty, Gauker started to change his story, saying that he had only confessed to save his son, and that his lawyers were incompetent for letting him enter a guilty plea when they knew he was innocent. He's infuriating. Mm -hmm. He told authorities that Young had in fact told him that he had killed Trey with a baseball bat. He told Young not to tell anyone the details because Gauker might be required to take a polygraph test. And he actually was. He did take a polygraph test that was inconclusive. Yeah. He also told them that if they got caught while they were on the run, that Young should start acting crazy. Like he had snapped and saying things like, I deserve a mummy too. Why can't I have a mummy? Trey's got a mummy and I don't. Oh my goodness. But he says when they got caught, Young didn't follow their plan. And that's when he decided he would have to confess himself. Wow. So these are all the claims that Gauker's making after. He's grasping at straws. Prior to Young's confession to the media, Gauker said he wrote a letter to him telling him of his intentions to do so. And his advice was, you better be sure if you're sitting in here with me, I did this all for nothing. Hmm. So while Young was in prison in 2018, Young sent a letter to the local media station. In it, he claimed to be the only person that murdered Trey's wicker, that his dad's confession had all been an act to get him off. In his letter, he offered to sell his story to the highest bidder. He states in the letter that unknown to the jury that found him not guilty, he had been really nervous about the outcome of the trial and had asked his lawyers just 29 minutes before the jury was sequestered to plead guilty for a 10-year sentence, but that the Commonwealth wouldn't go for it and instead they came back with a 20-year sentence. And so Young refused to take that deal and decided to take his chances with the jury. Right. But that could have been a panic last minute too. Mm -hmm. Like if I can do 10 years instead of 20, like maybe I'll just take it. Yeah. So in his confessions to the media station that he sent this letter to, he made the following statements. He said, to keep it real, I don't consider him my stepbrother. I mean, my dad was just having sex with his mom, but my dad was having sex with a lot of women. He says that he went to the cookout after the school hosted by Amanda. And after it was all over, Young said that he headed to his cousin's house and Trey went to his house. Later that night, Young said he met Trey behind Liberty School to smoke marijuana. He recalls, I had some weed and I took him out behind Liberty and like, I didn't really plan it. I can't remember the exact words he said down there smoking, but he got a little smart. I was young. You know, my brain wasn't fully developed and my thought process was altered because of maybe a little weed. Before I knew it, I'd hit him with the baseball bat. And once I hit him, I just couldn't stop hitting him. And that's something I haven't told publicly to anyone until now. He said that Trey started shaking and making all kinds of weird little noises. So he kept hitting him to make the noises stop. 
He said he took the baseball bat down to the ditch because he said that he and Trey had regularly vandalized cars and windows. But he said that he had never planned to kill Trey and didn't have a clear explanation for why he did it. For one, he just didn't like him, Young said. He had a big mouth, but no action to back it up. For two, you know, he told on me the night that we got pulled over by the police coming home from a house party, and I had some weed on me. He told on me about that. It was pathetic. Young said he went into his cousin's house with the bloody bat and wearing the bloody clothes. He said that there was no water at his cousin's house at that time, so he woke her up and told her to take him to dispose of the evidence. They went to an apartment complex near Old Shepherdsville Road, and it just so happened that the video camera pointing to the dumpster happened to be down for maintenance that week. Hmm. Young said, so really, I just got lucky in so many ways. He said that he aimlessly walked around the neighborhood for hours until it was time to get on the bus and go to school. At Young's trial, prosecutors suggested that it was possible that Gauker encouraged or instructed him to kill Trey, but Young denies that completely. Yeah, I don't think, I honestly don't think Young had anything to do with it. I think it was his dad. But some of the stuff he says actually makes more sense to me. Like the whole thing about, well, I had to wake Cassie up to help me hide the bat because there was no water at her house. Yeah, that but it's hiding. True. It's not washing. Yeah. You're just throwing it in a dumpster. But he was trying to wash up and he couldn't. Right. So that's why he had to go then get rid yeah. of it. And in Gauker's confession, he says that he went and washed up at Cassie's house when the water was turned off. That is true. And then you have Gauker shown on surveillance at the convenience store in the same shirt that he was wearing when police interviewed him at the crime scene right and he has amanda as an alibi saying that she was with him having all this wild crazy sex that night young's not even saying he has the right murder weapon he's saying he has a bat and the medical examiners have said that's not true but it doesn't have to be a wooden bat the ones that they took in for testing like you can have a metal bat but they did say that the pattern was not consistent with what a bat would look like it looked more like a broom handle kind of yeah yeah so none of the evidence fits Young even went as far to make fun of Dr. Phil for thinking that he was innocent, saying, well, I guess even a psychology degree can't teach you common sense because I played my role and fooled him easily. Because a jury has found him not guilty of the murder, he can no longer be charged. That's the rules of double jeopardy. That's scary. Mm -hmm. And you can bet that Gowker, who still remains in the Kentucky State Penitentiary, is now using his son's confession as a basis for his appeals. So far, he's been denied. And if he really did confess to keep his son out of prison, which I seriously doubt, it isn't working. Last year, in August 2021, Young was in jail again, this time for violating his federal supervisory release. Hmm. And that is the dysfunctional, lie-riddled, and maddening case of Joshua Gauker and Joshua Young. And it seems that they're proving the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. No. I don't know. I still think it was Joshua Gauker. That kind of orchestrated and... Young had no... Yeah, I don't think Young had anything to do with anything it. Anything to do with it He at had all. no motive. He had no reason. Well... Other than if his dad was manipulating him and forcing him to do it. Right. And if that was the case, he's not responsible either. There are some that have speculated that Young's motive might have been that he was jealous of Trey. Because Trey had both his mom and his dad. He did well in school. He seemed to have a support system. And they just kind of butt heads. They had two totally different personalities. And so there was some speculation that it might be just out of jealousy or just out of rage. Like he said, I find it interesting that Young's confession was much more detailed than his dad's. Yeah. But to talk about, oh, I'm jealous of him. Isn't that half of the blended families in North America? Yeah, it's You know, true. one of the kids is going to be jealous of the other and they don't go around killing each other with metal pipes or bats. Absolutely. And we have to look at Gauker. 
Look at his past. Huge history. He's a huge abuser. Mm -hmm. He almost killed Amanda by throwing her off the balcony. He has arson as a child, killing animals as a child and as an adult. Mm -hmm. He is a predator. And so do you think that young men, he's confessing to get his dad out because that's his last known connection for family? Maybe because the family has, it seems like has been important to young. Right. Right. He's had that ripped apart from him since he was a little boy or... He has turned into this little thug by stealing and all that kind of stuff. So maybe it's just his opportunity to make a buck on a book. Right. And it does come out very clearly through his confession that he's after the money for the story. I could just hear him laughing like, ha, I already, you know, got acquitted for this. So why not? He learns about double jeopardy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to make some money off this. Then I can say that I did it and there's nothing they can do about it. Which is so sad because that foster family that had adopted his sister, they took him back after the trial. They fought for him him they totally believed he was innocent and they were willing to work with him and get him the help he needed and right because he was a good kid yeah his dad messed him up yeah and his mom had messed him up too so this family they wanted to adopt this boy they didn't feel threatened by him or you know that this kid could be a murderer yeah I'm not torn I think it's the dad you think (laughs) yeah I knew you would have such a strong conviction I do (laughs) then young's just after the money he tried to flee and held a woman at gunpoint Mm-hmm. Right. Other than this, tell me any other violence that Young committed. It didn't any. sound like he did. You don't usually go from zero to 60, right? Mm-hmm. Usually you lead into these kinds of things where Gowker has been on a rampage his whole life for years. Yep. No, nope, it's Gowker. <laughs> I'm glad he's in jail. And I think Young is just messed up. And do you think that he'll get out on his son's confession? They didn't care about the other confession when the other guy was being tried. So why should they now? Yeah. But I think the greatest injustice for all of this is Trey and for his family. Such a horrid thing. Somewhere intermixed between all the drama and lies is the truth about what happened to Trey. And it's heartbreaking that his family doesn't know why it happened to him. They're still waiting answers. Yeah. So that is one crazy case that I think will leave uh, most of us guessing. Not Christy. She's got it all figured out. all figured out but I'm just looking at the patterns yep and the history between both of them Mm -hmm. you got a squeaky clean one and you got a dirt bag but listeners tell us what you guys think we would love to hear yeah your thoughts on this case and you can debate it out with us because I don't know I'm still on the fence I have such a hard time deciding okay if you were leaning towards one who would you lean towards Gauker for sure being the mastermind but I'm not so sure that Young is completely innocent okay I think he knows too many of the details and his testimony changed too many times. Like there's so many things that I'm like, yeah, just throw them both in jail. (laughs) That's kind of how I'm feeling at this point too. (laughs) It's both. It's It's always always both. both. (laughs) That's right. But what an interesting case. And we hope you guys join us next week when Christy brings us another interesting case. But until then, we hope you have a wonderful week. See ya. Bye. Test, test, test a Here we go. Okay. I was going to call them BJ for Big Joshua <laughs> and LJ for Little Joshua. <laughs> no, it's probably good that you didn't. <laughs> Today's case might make you feel better about your dysfunctional family. I never Are you wanted... calling my family dysfunctional? <laughs> <laughs> well, no. See, 
Yeah, she went straight for me. <laughs> this case will make anybody feel a little bit better about the dysfunction that they feel is in their family. Uh, good backtracking, <laughs> Melissa. Just wait. Ah, that means there is. <laughs> I'm going to shrink this. Hold on. I've got my glasses on today. Was he super short? Did he have short man's disease? Amanda. Sorry. Give our times to laugh. Go down. Yeah. Well, I get in trouble for saying that. <laughs> it's a real thing sometimes. His... Well, I, I can't even say because then I'll get in trouble for how, how I would describe him. But maybe they like the voyeurism of it. They visit a nearby duck. Uh, nearby duck. Someone the... needs to show him the end of a bat. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, did I say that out loud? <laughs> but come on. Oh, I see what you mean. <laughs> Sorry, that was not an appropriate response. <laughs> You did a lot with this case, so I guess maybe I should respect your opinion a little bit more. <laughs> do you want to do another ending? Or? No, it's good. Okay. <laughs> hey, we're live, pal, and we'd love for you to come check out our podcast, Tales from the Estate. Each week, we talk about our top five favorite somethings. My beautiful wife, Caitlin, likes to share all sorts of random facts. Yeah. Did you know that cows have accents? We did now, but we also review all sorts of snacks and other great things. And so if you love everything random, I think you'd enjoy Tales from the Estate. So come check us out. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Bye. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.